The reading today is Luke 17, verses 20 through 37. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the corpse is, the vultures will gather. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Stephen Atherton. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and I'm so glad to be able to be back up here another Sunday morning, continuing on here in our series in Luke. For those of you that have heard me preach over the years here at the church, you know that it just seems like God is consistently giving me stories in my life that connect to the passages that I'm going through. My mom jokes about it all the time. She's like, I feel like God is just constantly, intentionally putting these things in your life just for the sake of preaching. I'm like, yes, I thank you, Lord. But then there are times that things happen that I don't want anything to do with remembering. Um, There are things that happen that I would love just to lock away and to forget about for the rest of eternity. But God in his sovereignty and his kindness brings those things back to the surface when it connects to the passage as it does today. So one of these stories I'm gonna be sharing with you today happened pretty recently. Um, So bear with me on this one. Wow, I didn't think you would hit me that quick. Okay. So about two months ago, I was just living life. I was doing what I always do. I was just living, living the monotony. I was living in the routine of waking up eating breakfast, and this was a Saturday that I was preaching, so I went to the church, went to the student ministry room, and just was writing my sermon like like I always do. As I sat there writing, something happened. 
something happened that, that completely changed my perspective on life and living as a whole. I heard the most unnatural, ear-splitting sound I had ever heard. It sounded like a bomb had gone off outside. And without hesitation, I, I just ran full sprint from where I was to go find what the sound was. And as I ran up to the scene, it, <laughs> it took my mind a while to process what had happened. I ran up and I saw that there was a Toyota Tacoma that had been full bore, full speed T-boned by a lifted Ford just right there on, um, on Garden, the intersection right there. And when I got there, um, like I said, my mind was reeling. I was trying to figure out what happened. And so I just ran up and I saw this guy what, who was the dad step out of the truck and he seemed dizzy, but he seemed okay. So I went and I opened the back door Sorry. <clears throat> really didn't think this would get me this bad. <clears throat> so I opened the back door of the truck and there was a little girl that was right there. Whew. Long story short, I don't want to go into details, but it is a scene that I will never forget. By God's grace, she was still alive, but it was... It was like a nightmare looking at this poor little girl. So I took her out of the truck and I sat with her until the paramedics got there. Just trying to comfort her, just trying to be with her and trying to um, even just help her as she's screaming process a little bit what happened. And as I walked back to the student ministry room with blood on my clothes, on my hands, and my shoes, I was struck with a revelation. It's a truth I've known forever, but consistently forget as life becomes life. The truth that life is short. Life is so short. This was a wake-up call for me that things can happen in the blink of an eye. And if we're not prepared, actively preparing, it can hit us off guard. And after this event, I didn't just see it, take it in, try to ignore it and push it away. I actively took action. I went and took action. I prepared. I went and I, I couldn't sleep for like three days. And so I looked up every safety detail and feature of my truck and realized, wow, this truck is really not that safe. So I took action. I got rid of my truck, got rid of my trailer, my razor, and I went and bought a car that was safer because this made such an impact on me. There's, there was, in my mind, it was a preparation. There was action, not knowing what the future would hold but being prepared for it. So the passage we're going to be going through today nails this idea on the head. Jesus takes the opportunity to talk to the Pharisees, the disciples, and us today, throwing a wake-up call, sharing the truth that in this life we must be spiritually prepared. 
we need to see that there are two kingdoms. The already kingdom Jesus has established by his work on the cross that sets us free and the not yet kingdom of his return that the already kingdom prepares us for. I want to read that one more time. It's up on the screen too. The already kingdom Jesus has established by his work on the cross that sets us free and the not yet kingdom of his return that the already kingdom prepares us for. So this morning, we're going to see a few points emerge. We're going to see the already in 20 through 21, the not yet in 22 through 24, the sacrifice in 25, the prepared, unprepared, 26 through 32, and the response 33 through 37. I know it's a lot of points, but I promise it'll make sense as we get into it. At the end, asking the question, How are we living for the already, preparing for the not yet? Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you are so good. You are so great and greatly to be praised. And I'm so thankful and grateful for all that you do, for what you provide for us in God, the breath that we have in our lungs, the lives that we have. I pray this morning as we go through this passage, God, that you would wake each of us up to the reality of not only how short life is, God, but what we are supposed to do with this life. I pray that you would help remind us this morning of your gospel. I pray, Lord, that we would leave here today desiring to see you more clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. If you haven't yet, please open up your Bibles to Luke 17, verses 20 through, 20 through 37. Verse 20 says this. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. I just want to stop right there. So right after the healing of the lepers that we heard about last week, we're thrust back into this, a scenario where the Pharisees are asking Jesus questions, trying to trip him up as per usual. For them, the question that they ask here, it must've just seemed like a hole in one that they thought would leave this Jesus with no answers because in their minds, it was so clear and evident that there was in fact no kingdom established that was prophesied. Therefore, this man claiming the kingdom is a lying fraud. The Pharisees at the time thought that when the true Messiah were to come, it was was gonna be an immediate overthrow of the Israelites' enemies. That a king on a white horse with armor and a sword drawn would annihilate the Romans and establish a physical kingdom in Jerusalem where all of their enemies would be their footstool. So since none of these things had occurred, there seemed to be no good way that this man, Jesus, could answer them which then would reveal that he's a phony like they thought he was. But Jesus answers in a way that must have just baffled and frustrated them completely. Which brings us to our first point, the already. 
He answered them. This is continued on in 20. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. We as people are always looking for the signs of things happening. We want to see proof. If someone said to you, hey, did you hear Taylor Swift is here in Windsor? I feel like people most likely aren't just going to hear that information and shrug it off. Even if you don't like Taylor Swift, which I'm sure you all do, you're just hiding it. They want to see it for themselves. They want proof. They want to see a parade with her on the float. They want to see the security guards a mile long protecting her. They want to see the uproar and the commotion because without that, you know it can't be real. This is what people expect when a major event takes place. They expect a red carpet thrown out and every news crew standing by. But Jesus is completely flipping the script here. He's saying that this kingdom and commotion you so desperately want to see is not going to happen in this time frame. In fact, it's already happened, but you missed it. You're so blind to the truth because you were looking for the signs of the time, but the kingdom has been in front of your face the entire time. While the people of Windsor are so up in arms about the arrival of this world-renowned celebrity, it's like she was sitting right there in the same room as you the entire time. But the people around are so caught up in the commotion of what they thought her arrival would be like, they missed the person that they were so obsessed with. The kingdom is already here. The Messiah is already here. But the problem is that the people were blind to the king and his kingdom. Like I said, literally face to face with him. These first couple verses are so important to this section of scripture because it establishes the reality of the first kingdom. The invisible kingdom. Jesus brought something in every way, shape and form different from what the people were expecting. His upside down kingdom, the upside down kingdom that is established through God's rule in men's hearts through faith in the Savior. This kingdom that's not confined by a geographical location or is visible to the human eye. It's come quietly, invisibly, without the assumed glorious and triumphant arrival of the king on his steed, ready to destroy the enemy. The establishment of this kingdom sets the stage for the rest of eternity. The already kingdom brought by Jesus is the lens we need to look through as we get into this next section where Jesus talks through our next point, the not yet. Verse 22, 
he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the son of man and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out and follow them. After pointing out the Pharisees' false idea about the kingdom at hand, the already kingdom in their midst, he turns to the disciples and starts to tell them about a different kind of kingdom. The one that was foretold long ago. The not yet kingdom. As Jesus begins to tell his followers about this coming kingdom, he starts off with, with this verse that is vital for them then and for us now. Because he prefaces, he prefaces everything he's about to say with this line. The days are coming that you are going to desire to see my second coming. Be aware not to fall into the trap of what people might say. From the time Jesus ascended to the right hand of the father to now, there's been a yearning in the hearts and the minds of believers for Jesus to come back. Jesus, come back, we pray. There's absolutely nothing wrong with him wanting to come back. We desperately should. It's when we start to fall into the trap of looking for the signs of the times that the problems come. I, I have heard stories of every single generation that has looked to their dark, broken world and stated, yep, Jesus is definitely coming back now. Look at the signs. Look, the, the temple might get rebuilt. Did you see that there's a temple that got built in Australia? That must be it. Look, almost every unreached people group has heard about Jesus. Look at the mass murder of children. Look how disgusting and vile our world is just like Sodom and Gomorrah. Look. Look, Jesus has come secretly. He's come through the back door. Look, I know every person in this room can relate to this at some level. Because I'm sure each of us at one time or another has said it or thought it. As we continue on this section, it will become even more clear what Jesus is trying to get across here. But in this initial thought, it, it's a stern reminder to ensure our focus is on the right thing. Our focus is on the already kingdom preparing for the not yet kingdom not trying to determine the coming future, but realizing it's coming and preparing ourselves and others. Waking up to the reality of the return of the king. When people quietly whisper about Jesus' secret return, don't fall into the trap. Because you're gonna know it when he comes back. In that car accident, I guarantee there were not signs written in the stars the day before. There wasn't some secret message that was sent to this family. It struck hard and fast and out of nowhere. 
Verse 24 says this. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the son of man be in his day. About a decade ago, I remember getting a frantic call from my parents that they had just experienced something crazy. My mom's like, it it was nuts. We were driving down the road. If you've ever driven down the road in Arizona during monsoon season, you know that every afternoon it just downpours and then stops and then downpours and stops. So they were navigating the road through Arizona as the storm hit and out of nowhere, just an ear piercing sound and a light blew up next to their car. And once they, they figured out what happened, they realized that a bolt of lightning had struck right next to their car. And that my mom's like, I, I had never seen something like that. It was like Jesus came back because it was so bright and flashing and loud. Everything was completely normal one second. Then the blink of an eye, a flash of immense blinding light with ear-splitting explosions shook their car. What Jesus says here is so descriptive and brings life to the reality of the not yet kingdom. It is not going to be a secret. It is not going to be missed. And you'll know when it hits. Like a bolt of lightning, Jesus will bring about the second kingdom a physical kingdom where he will overthrow evil once and for all, where he will mount up and destroy the enemies of his people, where a temple will be set and true peace restored to the universe. When Jesus was initially speaking to the Pharisees, he in no way was contradicting the prophecies of the Old Testament from Isaiah, Micah, Daniel, Zechariah, and other places that speak of this physical kingdom being set by the one and only king. They were just incorrect on the timeline that they expected. They were misinformed on the reality of the first kingdom that's invisible, that sets the captive free. The kingdom of hearts versus the kingdom of bricks. They thought they knew what they were looking for. They thought they understood, but the true kingdom was again right in front of them. Jesus then takes time after the initial thoughts about the already kingdom and then the introduction of the not yet kingdom to insert the most important aspect of this section of scripture. He's already said the kingdom is here. Then the second kingdom will come. But first, before anything can be done, the most important event on planet earth must take place with our next point, the sacrifice. I love the way that Jesus inserts this right here. He's like, this is gonna happen, this is gonna happen, but also, I'm just gonna say this. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by his generation. And we're gonna see in a second, then he kind of just moves on from this. But first, first, disciples, Pharisees, church, take a step back for a moment. The eternal kingdom is coming, but a different kind of kingdom is here. This kingdom that isn't built by brick and mortar, the upside down kingdom that's not guarded by knights or horses or adorned with gargoyles looking down at people. 
This kingdom isn't flowing hillsides with babbling brooks. This is a kingdom established through blood. It's brought forth through a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice that would change the trajectory of the world forever. The king of this new kingdom will be beaten. He will be mocked. He will be scorned. This king would take the wrath of the cat of nine tails that ripped skin from the bone with rocking glass. This king would be spit on. He'd be laughed at. And in the end, murdered by his generation. Worst of all, this king would not only take on what wrath humanity could throw at him, but the all-encompassing, overwhelming, unexplainable wrath of the creator of all things. God the Father laid on him the punishment of us all. Every sin you and I have ever performed was thrust upon him. This was not just the death of a man. This was not just a terrible mistreatment of someone betrayed by his people in his generation. This was God incarnate rescuing his people in the only way possible. From Genesis 3.15 forward, this plan was in motion. This plan to rescue and redeem his people. A plan that gives everyone the opportunity to be set free from the penalty that is required of any sin if you believe in this king. This invisible kingdom and the torture that he went through to make it all possible. Church, this short verse paints the picture for this entire section. And honestly, scripture as a whole. Pharisees and the disciples were so concerned about the physical kingdom that they were blind to the reality of the kingdom that had already come. They were so caught up in the hype of castles and steeds and knights, they missed the upside down kingdom of true rescue that was at their doorstep. So easily, we can look through the lens of the disciples and the Pharisees the lens of too quickly looking past the present with an eye on the future. Caught up in the minutia of it all. Trying to identify the fine details the future holds. How many of us sitting here right now have our futures mapped out? Living the daily grind just to get to another day. Living for the future, not living life preparing for the future. The short verse helps us take time to wake up and reflect on what had to be done to set us free from the penalty of sin and death. It's a wake up call to remember the gospel message. Wake up call for our lives to be planted in the gospel, prepared for the future with the gospel at the center. Now, this doesn't mean we shouldn't look to the coming kingdom. It doesn't mean we shouldn't look to the return of Christ. Again, Jesus come back soon should be my prayer and yours. But the problem with the forward focus is the potential to forget the kingdom that's already come. 
established by Jesus' work on the cross. Because what Jesus did all together with everything we've talked about, what Jesus did actually informs the response to the future. Which takes us to our next point. The prepared and unprepared. Verse 26 says this. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the son of man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the son of man is revealed. After Jesus' very clear and concise words regarding the already kingdom, established by his sacrifice and the coming kingdom that would not be a secret by like lightning in the sky. He digs in deeper with stories they would be so familiar with. And that's Noah and Lot. This section is highlighting even further the reality that the second coming would not be something that would be predicted. It would not be something that a sign could tell anyone. Noah is the first example. People were living normal life. They were having meals together. They were getting married. They were going to work day in and day out. When, bam, out of nowhere, they were dead. In a blink of an eye, they were dead and dropped. They didn't heed the warning of Noah. They went about like nothing could ever happen to them. They had plenty of time. Second example uses Lot. People of Sodom were doing what they always did. They were living life. Refusing to listen to anyone about the coming judgment. And just as in the flood, in the blink of an eye, they were gone. In both cases, there was a warning. There was information. There was a way to be rescued, but they refused to listen. They weren't prepared. And in their deaf ears was the instantaneous sound of the end. Jesus continues by saying in verse 31, on that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who's in the field not turn back. In this verse, Jesus is making the point even more clear that when he returns, there's not going to be time to prepare things. If it hasn't been prepared, there won't be time to do it. At that time, houses had flat roofs. And not just flat roofs, they had exterior staircases too. So this was saying they wouldn't even have time to go back inside their house. And if you're in a field, you just turn around, you keep going, you keep walking. The analogies Jesus uses would have been so familiar, which would have hit the point home even further. If you didn't prepare, there will be no time to do it later. With Jesus transitioning to another story that connects to these analogies he just shared, a powerful statement being made in three words. Verse 32, remember Lot's wife. 
In Genesis 9:17 and 9:26, we see the story unraveled that Jesus is referencing. Just a little context if you don't remember the story. This is connected to the account of Lot and the destruction of Sodom. So there's angels that have come and are telling Lot and his family to escape, giving them safe passage because of their faith in God. 17 is one of the angels speaking and says this, 917. As they brought them out, one said, one of the angels said, escape for your life. Don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills lest you be swept away. Now, a couple of verses later in 26, it says, but Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. So a deeper element is added to the story of Sodom with the reminder of Lot's wife. In the end, as the city was burning, safety on the horizon, she couldn't help herself. She longingly looks back to the vile city that she had lived in. Even though she was out of harm's way, her disobedience cost her her life. Right on the heels of this call back to Lot's wife, Jesus gives us what I believe is the main point of this section that helps us understand how to be prepared. Living for the already kingdom, being prepared for the not yet kingdom with the sacrifice of the king front and center. With our last point, the response. Verse 33, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I recently read a commentary that explains this verse like this. Jesus' paradoxical statement demands two different senses of the word life. Whoever lives a self-centered life focused on themselves in the present world will not find eternal life with God, but whoever gives up the self-centered life of rebellion against God for Christ and the gospel will find everlasting communion with God. I love this explanation because it breaks down the heart of what Jesus is trying to get across to the disciples and the Pharisees and us today. It begs the question of how are we living life? And from the answer to the question stems the reality of the already kingdom and also the not yet kingdom. A wake up call to all of us. First, we see a wake up call to the unbeliever. The one who has life and will lose it. This is a warning. This is a warning that judgment is coming. A warning that right now in the already kingdom, there is hope and there is rescue through Jesus. The people of Noah's time, of Lot's time, were hearing the truth ring out, but refused to listen, living life the way they saw fit in opposition to the one true king. With the Pharisees standing in opposition to the king. And anyone that rejects the truth in opposition to the king. This is a call to any person who has not put their faith and trust in Jesus. I hear all the time. I'll get it right with God someday. I'll figure out who this Jesus guy is eventually. Right now, it doesn't really matter. I'm just a middle schooler. 
I'm just a young adult. I'm just in my 30s, my 40s, my 50s. It doesn't matter what age. I have plenty of time. And this entire section is screaming back, no, you don't. You have not one single clue when Jesus will come back. You have no idea when the lightning will strike. You have no clue when the blinding light and ear piercing sound will ring in the end of it all. When the proverbial car crash will happen. Because at that time, there's no going back. No matter what anyone says, you cannot read the signs to know when you need to get right with God. No matter what anyone says, Jesus is not going to sneak back in with the world slowly catching on. You can't read the stars, you can't read the moon, you can't count count numbers or buildings or anything. What we're being struck with here is the reality that tomorrow may be too late. We're in the right now kingdom that is the incredible gift Jesus gave us through his sacrifice. We're in the right now where you can see the truth that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And he is the only one that can prepare you for the end. Next, he gives us a wake up call to the believer. The one that has handed their life over, lost their life and gained it in Christ. I desperately wish I could see that little girl again. To see that she's happy and healthy, but more so to share the good news of Jesus with her if she doesn't already know it. That accident could have ended her life. And I'll be honest, I I actually have no idea if it did or not. But that incident has shifted my perspective on living life. It should shift every believer's perspective not just living for me or getting caught up in the day-to-day doing the same thing, but thanking my Savior for another day with the hope that he can use me, that he can use all of us that put our faith and trust in him to prepare those around us for the end. With the only thing that prepares being Christ. If you're here today and unsure where you stand with Jesus, please Don't leave here without talking to someone. If you've yet to submit to the one that's the only way to be rescued, don't let another day go past. I know this is unconventional, but at the end of service, any pastor that's here, any community group leader, if you would all just come up to the front area, and if there's anyone here that needs to talk this through, that needs to process who this Jesus is, please come talk to us. Moving on to our last verse in 35. 35 through 37, sorry. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken to the, and the other left. Weird, that cut off in 36, sorry. And they said to him, where Lord? He said to them, where the corpses, the vultures will gather. So these verses fall directly in line with what I was just talking about. If you know anything about eschatology or the study of end times, you know there's heated debate on what the actual timeline of events that take place will look like. But these verses are not trying to give us a left behind kind of breakdown. 
They're actually here to point to the fact that there will be judgment on those who are not in Christ. This is pointing to the one who has put their faith in the gospel of Jesus and the one who is gone, who's judged for all eternity. With the haunting last line where the corpse is, the vultures will be. Anytime vultures are mentioned, it's a sign of visible death. Those who reject the now kingdom, the gospel message of Jesus, will be the dead corpse encircled by vultures. As I said previously, there's two sides to the coin here. Those who have not put their faith in Christ and those who have. For those that are rescued and restored, may alive in the right now kingdom. So many things we need to see and take away from this section. Even with the beautiful reality that we're rescued, we might end up still living as if the end were not coming. I want to take us back a few chapters in Luke where we see the way we should be living. Luke 12, 35 through 37. Stay dressed for action, keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes back and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. We need to be prepared. We need to be vigilant. We need to be waiting patiently for the master's return. And in that time, serving our king to the best of our abilities. Are we living for eternity or just living? Are we so busy with living that we're neglecting the real life? Are we so focused on the future that we're forgetting to live for today with the gospel at the center? Section is a call not to try and determine the master's return, but be prepared for the master's return. Be prepared, living in the already kingdom with the not yet in mind. Our response to this shouldn't be fear of what the return might hold, but an encouragement to those in Christ that our king is coming back. Church, we should be so excited. We should be thrilled our Savior is coming back someday, living like he is. Live with life with eternity in mind every day because you don't know when the lightning will strike. I pray that today, all of us leaving here will have the desire to live for the already kingdom being prepared for the not yet kingdom. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much again for this time. God, I pray through this passage, Lord, that you would convict hearts. I pray if there's anyone in here right now that has yet to put their faith and trust in you, God, that you would just rattle them right now. God, I pray that you would change their perspective, change their hearts, and that they would desire to know you, knowing you are the only one that can rescue. And for those of us that have put our faith in you, Jesus, I pray that you would give us strength and boldness and courage to go out, not only preparing ourselves and our families and those around us, but God, going out to this broken world with the desire to prepare them as well. Love you and praise you, Jesus' name. Amen.